As we wrap up this book, we're reminded that Christian living is meant to, to be done in community. We're meant to be in, in fellowship and relationship for, together. How many people are thankful for the relationships we have here? Some of you, you may not know each other, but it's a blessing. And it's a blessing to be able to come and gather. I'm, I'm so glad that we've been able to be a church, and I'm so proud of all of you that have taken the last couple of years to say, you know what, being the church together is important to where we haven't really had to miss a beat. We've kind of continued on as fairly normal. And, and in fact, in case you haven't heard, um, we just have heard some reports on the, on the radio this weekend, on News 1130, and on some websites. Um, I haven't heard it directly from our own lawyer, but I heard him on the radio saying that um, these tickets that were issued to the churches have all been dropped now. Uh, yeah. So praise the Lord for that. So that's really, again, I haven't confirmed. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting to hear from our Lord. He's going to say, oh, no, that was for all the other churches, not your church. I'm like, okay, that's probably, you know. I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of waiting to get final word, but it sounds and looks very promising as I've seen some websites, news reporting on that, and uh, what if our news 11:30? So praise the Lord. All glory be to him. We're thankful for that. Um, and so it's been such a, a joy to just, yeah, be able to come together in fellowship and be in community. And uh, that's important. And we see that it is important here because in the remainder of this chapter, Paul is listing a lot of people, a lot of names that maybe we haven't heard much about. But what it's communicating to us is that Paul was a person that lived in community. Paul was all about relationships. Paul wasn't a guy that just kind of was a lone ranger, soul winner, like I'm just going to go ahead, put my head down and do my work and I don't want anybody to get in the way. Uh, he wasn't about that. He was about investing into other people and, it's, and it becomes very clear as we look through these names. This is easily a, a passage that uh, we can just sort of skip over. I mentioned last week, you know, like I was thinking about just kind of running through this and just kind of wrapping up the passage last week, the whole chapter, but I didn't want to do that as I began to kind of look into it, seeing like these names are here for a reason. It's, it's important, and it, and it is very easy to skip over. Like, like how many people, when you're going and watching a movie, um, are staying right to the very end to just read all the different names coming up on the credits at the end of a movie? Get out of here. You guys don't do that. Come on. Nobody in their right mind does that. Let's... Stop and pray for these people right now. Yeah, Stan, maybe if you're like on the credits, you're watching for it, right? That's what you're doing. You're like, oh, I think I'm coming up now. It's been 10 minutes, but I think it's coming. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And so typically we're not sitting there going, man, I want to see who that was holding that boom microphone because the audio was so good in this movie. I want to see who that was. We're not typically sitting around to read all that. And, and we kind of take that approach sometimes into God's word when we start to see a list of names. We're like, oh, come on, I don't want to be bothered with that. I can't even pronounce these names. Well, let's just skip over it, right? That's sometimes what we do. But, but they're there for a reason, and they're identifying for a couple of things, that Paul was the guy that lived in community, and he saw the value and importance of fellowship. It was important to him, and, and he was important to other people. People were greatly um, blessed by the fellowship that Paul had with them. But it also reminds us that God sees all these people. They're recorded down in history for us to be able to see thousands of years later who these people were and, and why they're important. God sees all that you do in, in service and in relationship with other people, though there are things that are done very much in, in secret or behind the scenes, God takes note, and I'm excited about that and thankful for that. But we see here that there's this great value and importance in community. It's true that no man is an island. We're not meant to go about it on our own. And we're meant to come together in, in fellowship, in community, to serve one another, to be a blessing and a support to each other. And Paul was experiencing that. And like I said, I'm just so thankful for a church that sees the, the value 
and the importance in that to where it would be very easy to just kind of stay at home with all the technology these days and to, to watch online in your pajamas and, and all those online, th- and we're glad you're there. We're not trying to, <laughs> we're not trying to make you feel guilty at all right now, not at all. And we're a little jealous that you are in your jammies, but that's okay. Uh, we'll get into those this afternoon, but um, we're glad that you're online and we, we're thankful for the opportunity we have. And there are times people need to be at home. We understand that, but we also are thankful to see the ability we have to come and gather together. In fact, the very name church, the Greek word used for church is the word ekklesia. And according to the Enhanced Strong's lexicon, it means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place. It's an assembly called out of their homes to come together. We're living in communities where the church is called to do, and yet we've seen in the last couple of years how we've been kind of conditioned or, or called to separate, to isolate, to distance from one another, and it's come at a great cost because there's been great damage to many people's lives, whether it be uh, psychologically, mentally, emotionally. We are not meant to be alone. We're meant to come together, and I'm thankful for the church and the community we have together and being able to be in fellowship and relationship. And it's felt like the last couple of years, like we've been able to just continue on without missing a, a, a beat and, and kind of wondering like, what is all this about, you know, COVID and masks? I just feel like I've lived normally and it's been great. It's been wonderful. We're not saying and dismissing that there's not been things happening and, and that we need to take precautions at times. And there are times where we need to stay at home if, if we're sick and not wanting to pass on. We understand all of that, but it's so great to be able to just come together and be that support and blessing together as these people were to Paul and as Paul was to these people. So let's get into it here. Verse seven says this. And, and again, that's why we like to skip over some of these because you see a guy like this, you go, how do you even say that name? In the, in the Greek, it's kind of uh, tikikos, uh, tikikos. And that's hard to say all the time, but you can say, some people say tichikis, and they say it that way. I'll, I'll say that way because it's easier to roll off the tongue that way. But here's what Paul says, tichikis, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Now here's the thing, Tychicus, not not a common uh, name that you identify or think about great men of the Bible. You, if you're putting a, a, a top 100 list of heroes in the Bible, I'm imagining that Tychicus is not making the top 10, let alone making the list at all. You're going, Tychicus, never heard of him. Who is this guy? He's not a guy that stands out, and yet he's mentioned five times in God's word. Oh, I just lost all my my notes here. Um, There we go. Tychicus mentioned five times in the Bible, Acts chapter 20, verse 4, where he was with Paul during the Ephesus riot. He was a, a common travel companion with Paul. In fact, uh, he was one that was taking the offering that was collected from the Gentile churches and bringing it back to the Jerusalem church that was going through a lot of uh, a persecution and, and trial and difficulty. He was entrusted with that offering, and so he was a close companion of Paul. He's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, where he delivered the letter to the Ephesus church, just as he's doing now in Colossians uh, delivering this letter that Paul is writing to the church at Colossus. And then he's also mentioned in 2 Timothy 4, verse 12, and, and Titus 3, verse 12. So Tychicus may not have been the most well-known man in Scripture, but he's an important man. And not just to Paul, as he certainly was, but he's important to us. Just think about this for a moment. Paul's writing that letter from a prison in Rome. He's in chains. He's not able to drop that in the mailbox somewhere. He needs somebody to deliver this letter. And I'm sure there's Tychicus right there like donkey and truck. Pick me, pick me, I'll do it. And Tychicus is the guy to be given this letter, to be entrusted with this letter to bring it back to the church in Colossus. Now, Tychicus could have started off on that journey. It's a long ways from Rome to Colossus. He could start off on that journey and, and begin to thought, man, this is pretty treacherous. This is gonna take me a while. This is 
I didn't really, no, nah, I didn't really consider that this would be this hard. He could have easily just skipped out, bailed out. He could have easily just gone off on a vacation somewhere and dropped a letter in a ditch and said, these guys aren't going to even know. They may not even know that Paul's writing a letter to them. How are they going to know? Is it going to make any difference if I really don't bring this letter? Maybe somebody else would come by and just kind of share that heart of Paul. Maybe they don't really need this letter. He could have easily just, you know, skipped over, but yet... Tychicus was faithful and he delivered the letter not only to the church in Ephesus but now to the church in Colossus to where we become great beneficiaries of having these letters now that have stood the test of time to where we can spend time studying and reading through this and gleaning great insights and wisdom from these letters not just because Paul was faithful to write it but because Tychicus was faithful to deliver it and here's this guy now that typically we're going who's this guy What's he all about? Man, we are blessed because of Tychicus. We never know how far-reaching our service can be for the Lord when it's given faithfully to the Lord. Because Tychicus, I'm sure, was not imagining the far-reaching effect that, that 2,000 years later, we'd all be sitting in a room reading this letter that he was faithful to deliver. And we just never know when God calls us to a specific task. Though we might think, ah, it's very insignificant. Is anybody really even going to, is it really going to matter if I don't do this? We never know what kind of an impact that could have and what kind of a widespread impact that service done unto the Lord can have. Well, Tychicus reminds us just of that. Now, there's three specific things that we learn about him from this passage. In relation to other believers, Paul says he's a beloved brother. In relation to Christ, he's a faithful minister. And in relation to Paul, he is a fellow servant. So first of all, he's a beloved brother. I, I like this because Paul saw Tychicus as a guy that he just loved. Paul was grateful for this man that was faithful and serving alongside Paul and being with him on so many of these journeys. He was a beloved brother. But I think Paul can use his phrase now, beloved brother, to encourage the church now again to receive him. He's a beloved brother, meaning I believe that he's a guy that loves greatly as well. That Paul saw the benefit Tychicus would be to the church now in Colossus. It's been said that those who love deeply are deeply loved people. And that was Tychicus. He knew the love that he had from Paul. Paul experienced that love from him. And he's a man that just continued to show that love. And when we begin to truly understand, I believe too, the love that we've been given from our Heavenly Father. As, as 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Like God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. When we begin to understand the magnitude of the love that has been given to us, it should cause us to be deeply loving people, to love other people around us, to say, man, I'm just so filled with the love of God that I just want this love to be shining forth in and out of me. And Tychicus was such a brother. He's also, it says, a, a faithful minister. Now we sometimes, you know, think of faithful ministers as they're just, you know, they're just doing all the, all the work and everything like that. Faithful minister, you know, is a person that's ready to, you know, step up and uh, answer the call of the brother that needs a golf partner uh, through the week or to sample all the goodies of the missions market to see if they're edible for everybody else. You know, faithful, right? It's doing the hard stuff sometimes. But we, you know, the word faithful, Minister simply means servant. It's the same Greek word used here as is also translated as servant elsewhere in Scripture. Minister simply means servant. And yet we've oftentimes kind of elevated this, this title or role of minister as this, you know, highly distinguished and person of high regard. Like we kind of elevate them up as... Uh, you know, as far as what I've been told, I haven't experienced that myself, but from what I've been told, that's what some people do. They kind of hold up the minister like he's really all that. That's sometimes what I've heard from others. But, but again, that, that role, a minister is just servant, meaning they're just there to serve. They're just there to minister alongside 
uh, one another as being co-labors, as just being engaged in community and, and serving the Lord together. Tychicus was a person that Paul said, this guy's faithful. He's a faithful minister because he's a, he's a faithful servant. He's ready to do whatever needs to get done. I need this letter dropped off in class. Give it to me, I'll do it. He's just ready, he's just faithful, he's dependable. The, it's been said that the greatest ability in the world is dependability. The greatest ability in the world is dependability. And that was Tychicus, a faithful minister or servant. And then Paul says number three about him, that he is a fellow servant. See, Paul benefited greatly by having a guy like Tychicus alongside him, who was a, a faithful servant. Paul, uh, sorry, Tychicus was with Paul through thick and thin, traveling often with him. When Paul was going through shipwrecks and beatings, imprisonments, I mean, Tychicus was right there with him. And this also kind of spoke of this equality that they shared together. Again, Paul wasn't a person that lifted himself up in high regard to say, listen, I'm the apostle, Paul. And you need to just kind of do what I'm telling you to do. You need to answer to me. I'm going to be over you. I'm going to be directing you. He didn't do that. He said, he's a fellow servant. In other words, Paul recognized his life as just being a servant alongside others that were serving with him. Not serving him, but serving with him as fellow servants. Paul didn't see himself as better or over Tychicus, but as a fellow servant. And, and that's the thing for us all today. We're fellow servants. God's given separate tasks, no doubt, responsibilities and roles, but no one is, is greater than another. We're all fellow servants together, living in fellowship and community, serving and magnifying Jesus and seeking to be a blessing to one another. And that was Tychicus for Paul. So Paul sent Tychicus to, to share about Paul's situation here. He says in verse 8, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. Some translations have that, that you may know our circumstances and he may comfort your heart. So uh, no doubt it's, it's letting the church in class know kind of what's going on with Paul. Also that he might know how they're doing. But notice what Paul says that, that he may comfort your hearts. That says a lot about Paul again, because here's Paul in prison. He's in chains. He's not sending Tychicus to say, hey, tell this church that they need to really be stepping it up to help me, to comfort me. I'm in prison. I'm in chains. Can they do something more to sort of comfort me? Paul wasn't worried about that. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was very others focused. He put others before his own needs. He says, I want you to comfort them. I don't want them to be worried about my situation. I don't want them to be in despair and wonder, where's God in all this? I want you to comfort their hearts because Paul understood that wherever he was, he was right in the will of God and able to be used to God wherever he was. And he did. He served the Lord right where he was and he wanted those to be comforted that this is not an, an occasion to worry and question God. It's an opportunity for them to be comforted because Paul is right in the center of God's will and Paul was seeing God's work continue to unfold even in that situation. And that's so awesome. And then Paul didn't send Tychicus alone. Look at verse nine. He says, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So Tychicus has a traveling companion now in Onesimus. Now Onesimus is a great story. It's a wonderful story because Onesimus was, notice what Paul says, he is one of you there in verse 9. He's one of you, meaning that he came from the church of Colossus. Onesimus was a slave. His master was Philemon. And guess what? We're going to be getting into the story next week when we finish our series in the letters from prison, when we look at the book of Philemon, the last in the set of letters from prison. We'll take next Sunday and go through Philemon. We'll talk about these two a little bit more. Um, but it's a great story. Onesimus ends up, you know, leaving uh, the, the, the group and his, his master, Philemon, got saved. Onesimus figures maybe this is the time to run away. And so he's a runaway slave. He ends up in Rome. And he ends up crossing paths with Paul and getting saved. Paul considered him a, a son in the faith. Whether Onesimus was put in prison with Paul, we don't know how it all came about, but, but Onesimus gets saved. And now Paul is sending him back 
to make things right with Philemon and sending a letter to Philemon. It's a very personal letter that Paul writes that we'll, we'll take time to look at next week and, and uncover more about this story and the relationship of Onesimus and Philemon next Sunday. So we'll just move on, but it's a great work we see of just that reconciliation that God brings, not only in saving us and reconciling us, to the Father, but in reconciling us in our other relationships around us. Again, as we are meant to be in community and in, in fellowship together. And Paul desired that for Onesimus and Philemon. So next week, we'll cover that. Verse 10. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So Aristarchus, first of all, here's another man that maybe doesn't recall these great heroes of the faith. You might be wondering, like, who in the world is Aristarchus? But he was a man, again, that stood true to Paul through thick and thin. He was a man that gave himself to the work and the ministry in, in, in serving Paul. If Paul was assembling a dream team of people that he wanted to accompany him on his missionary journeys, I think Paul would be having Aristarchus right at the top of the list. Because what we see as we go through God's word is that Aristarchus was there with Paul in all situations. Again, so much so that when that riot in Ephesus broke out, Aristarchus became a real target as a person closely linked with Paul. It says in Acts 19 verse 29 that the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So people in the city, they, they quickly identified Aristarchus as, oh, that's the guy that's closely connected with Paul. And Paul's the guy that's really stirring up a lot of problems here. So they seized Gaius and Aristarchus. He was with Paul when he set sail to Rome as a prisoner. Uh, Acts chapter 27, verse 2. And you'd think if there's ever a time to kind of sever ties, it's like, hey, sorry, Paul, uh, you know, you're going off to prison in Rome. This is probably where I need to draw the line now, all right? I don't think I need to get on that ship with you. It's kind of all done. I'm not giving you much help for you now, so I'm just going to, you know, sail off in the sunset now. I'm just going to leave you alone. Like, he could have easily severed, but yet... Aristarchus gets on that ship with Paul. He's like, Paul, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to be a help and a support to you. In fact, in fact, Aristarchus became just so devoted to Paul and just kind of coming alongside him that it's believed he pledged himself as a slave to Paul just so that he could be allowed to go on that ship and sail to Rome with Paul as a prisoner there. This is the kind of guy that Aristarchus was. He was a dear friend to Paul. He was a dear support and a blessing to Paul. And again, this is a man that maybe none of us have ever heard of before. And yet here he is being recorded in scripture as God knows all that is done for him and for his glory. And he sees and he knows all. And we may not ever do anything where people take note of what you do, but take heart because God sees and God knows. In fact, in fact, Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. We're not, we're not here to get a nice pat on the back or accolades. Oh, I, I so appreciate all that people do in service and in volunteering here in the church. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. But whether you're thanked by me or by somebody else or not thanked at all, understand that God sees and God knows and God's the one that rewards you. In fact, if you're doing things to get the accolades of men and the praise of men, that's going to be your reward. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Better, better record that, be able to play that back in, in Luke because that's all the, the praise that you're going to get from that. But when you do all that you do unto the Lord and for his glory, whether it's seen in the public eye or not, God's the one that's going to reward you. He's going to bless you for that. He's going to reward you. So let us serve the Lord and serve him faithfully, just as a man like Aristarchus was doing. He was kind of in the, the background, but yet he was such a blessing to Paul. And then we see Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now that's a great story. 
It's great because here's a, a story that could have ended in great hurt and despair, yet it ended with grace and reconciliation. What happened here? Well, remember when Paul and Barnabas were ready to go off on their first missionary journey, and they were going to go travel through different cities spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Barnabas goes, hey, I've got a young cousin with me, Mark, that would love to come along with us. He'll, he'll be a help to us. And so Paul's like, sure, let's bring him along. So Mark accompanies them, and it's about you know halfway through the journey and this mission trip that they're on that Mark, being a young guy, begins to kind of miss his mummy or something he's missing the home cooking missing her tucking him in at night he's like man i kind of want to be back home and he starts whining and so he bails on them and he returns back home so paul and barnabas finish the trip they come back to antioch and they're sharing all about their trip and then they're getting ready to go back a second time to go and visit those cities again and barnabas is like hey paul you want me to call up mark and see if he wants to come with us and paul's like no way i'm not taking that bum with me the guy bailed on us I don't want that dead weight dragging us down anymore. And it became such a dispute among Paul and Barnabas that they ended up separating. And Barnabas takes Mark with him and Paul takes Silas with them and they go separate ways. But here's the great thing is that even in the midst of that, God was at work because now we're seeing, you know, multiplication through division. I don't know how that works, but it, it worked in this situation, right? I'm not good at math, but apparently multiplication through division so God saw a, a, a work double now because of this but yet that was not to say like okay God so me being upset with Mark is a good thing you're honoring that you're using it that's great I'll remain upset at Mark and then you can continue to see your work unfold no that's not what happened because what's interesting is at the end of Paul's life now when he's writing his last letter, the letter of 2 Timothy, Paul says this. He says in verse, chapter 4, verse 11, only Luke is with me. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Paul's at the end of his life. He's ready to face, you know, Nero and, and, and perhaps, you know, see that, uh, yeah, he knew things were coming to an end. But what does he say? Of all the people that I could have around me, he says, get Mark. Get Mark. He's, he's useful to me. He's a help to me. He's a support for the ministry. What happened? Well, reconciliation happened. Paul's a guy that walked in, in forgiveness and grace. And that's what needs to happen as we, as we come together in community and relationships. Oh, there will be things that maybe annoy you or bother you with other people and make you go, I don't know if I want to be in community with those people. But when we walk in grace, when we walk in forgiveness and not hold any kinds of resentment towards people, but give that over to the Lord, and God, God can make those relationships new and, and cause those things to come together in great reconciliation and blessing one to another. Hughes says this, there was no way that two men who both loved God and were walking in fellowship with him would not have fellowship with one another. This is what true fellowship brings. If two believers cannot be reconciled, then either both or one is not in fellowship with God. Is there someone that you will not forgive, that you have no desire to forgive through, though this person has humbly sought your forgiveness? If so, you need the fullness of Christ. If you are full of him, you will be like him, forgiving. Are you full of the Lord today? Because if you're full of the Lord today, then you're gonna be able to operate in great community and fellowship, regardless of who you're fellowshipping with. If you are full of the Lord, because remember what Paul said in Colossians 3 verse 13. He says that you need to bear with one another and forgive one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We're not gonna be very forgiving people if we don't understand how greatly we've been forgiven. How greatly God has forgiven you when you least deserved it. When you didn't do anything to earn that. God came and forgave you. He wiped clean all, he doesn't come back and say, you know what, like, I'd really like to help you here, but you know, last time I helped you, you kind of let me down. You kind of did this thing. Remember what you did? But he doesn't bring up the past. It's forgiven. And Paul was a man that 
Didn't do that with Mark now. He didn't let the past hold him back. He walked in forgiveness, walked in grace. What we see with Paul and Mark is that they both grew in grace. Paul probably just softened up a little bit in his old age, and Mark kind of grew up a little bit and matured. He wasn't as much of a weenie as he was on that first missions trip when he was ready to go back and be with mom. You know, he's growing up. And maybe he's admitting, you know, I was wrong to do that. No, I've changed. I've, I've grown up a little bit. But they accepted one another in that grace of the Lord. That's God's grace in action to where now they were a great benefit to each other. I love that. And then we see Jesus who is called justice this is not the jesus of course that's why you know they're all like hey listen we just we just don't feel comfortable calling you jesus we're going to change your name okay you're going to be justice now the just one hope you're okay with that that's a pretty good name to have right there but it changed name. now we don't know much about justice here it's the only time he's mentioned in god's word but here's what we do know about these three people aristarchus mark and justice paul says that they were all of the circumcision meaning these were all Jewish Christians. These are people of the circumcision. They were Jews, but they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, they proved to be a comfort to me. How so? Remember Paul's heart. Paul had a great heart for his countrymen. He would even say in Romans 9, verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. What Paul is saying there in Romans 9, 3 is that I would take the curse of God. I would, I would give up my salvation if it meant the salvation of all my countrymen. That's how much Paul loved his countrymen, how much he wanted to see them come to know the Lord. Paul was called to go to the Gentiles and preach the good news to them, but whenever Paul went into the city, what did he do? He would go into the synagogue. Why? Because he had such a love for his countrymen. He wanted to see them get saved. He's like showing up in every city like, Lord, I know you got me. Go to the Gentiles, but just a quick pit stop is all I'm asking for. I just want to hit the synagogue real quick. It's not going to take me long to get kicked out of there, and then I'll go to the Gentiles. That's kind of how Paul lived his life, right? That's sort of what, what repeated in his mission trips. And, and, and so Paul had such a heart for them. And now he's seen like, here's three brothers right now. Three brothers, my own people, the, uh, my own countrymen that are saved and they're engaged in the ministry and I'm, I'm thankful for them. They've been such a, a blessing and a comfort to me. But he also says this, that they are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. See that there in verse 11? They are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God. You see, Paul was not trying to build his kingdom. He wasn't trying to elevate himself above another. He refers to these three as fellow workers, meaning that these were co-laborers with Paul. They were all working together for the common purpose and goal of just making Jesus known and seeing the kingdom of God be established. When we are all working for the same cause, there's no need to have any power trips or egos or to hold one over and above another. Our focus and purpose is simply to make Jesus known. That's what Paul was all about. He says in verse 7 that, that Tychicus was his fellow servant. He says of Aristarchus in verse 10 that he's his fellow prisoner. And now of these three, they are fellow workers. Because Paul was a, a team player, right? He's not looking to assemble a team to be the coach of and direct and order around or be the general manager. Paul goes, they're fellow workers. He's a team player, just like on a team. Look at a hockey team and everybody's got a, a part to play. Some people are great pastors. They're going to set up the goal scorer. The guy, the goal scorer is going to put the puck in the net. You got other people that are, are playing defense. They're not all doing the same thing. They're doing different roles, but they're all functioning for the success of the team. And Paul is operating in a way where he's a team player saying, it's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's about magnifying Jesus and the kingdom of God being established. And we're all fellow workers together in that. What a blessing it is. Well, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Now, Epaphras was instrumental as the, the founding pastor of this church in Colossus. He had no doubt come and visited Paul when Paul was in 
Ephesus ministering for three and a half years there, uh, conducting Bible studies and teaching the word faithfully. And Epaphras had come down and, and uh, just really gotten, you know, encouraged in the word and uh, follower of Christ goes back to Colossus and he establishes this church there. But then Epaphras has to go and visit Paul in Rome and kind of give a report about the things that are going on at the church in Colossus, out of heresy coming in, false teaching, dealing with all these things. So he comes and he consults Paul. But while he's visiting with Paul in Rome, he becomes a prisoner alongside Paul. Philemon chapter, or verse 23, tells us that. That's why Epaphras is not being sent back with his letter as the pastor of the church. He's a prisoner with Rome. That's why Tychicus is coming back with the letter now. But, but Phile- uh, sorry, Epaphras still has a great heart for the church. He's still kind of pastoring them. How? By praying for them. He's still desiring to see them growing. And so here's what he prays for them. Notice it says there, uh, he's laboring fervently for you in prayers, verse 12, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He prays a couple things, that they would stand perfect. And what Epaphras is praying, that they would simply continue to be established in the Lord and in his truth, that they would grow and mature in Christ, that they wouldn't be led away with this false teaching and ideas that was making less of Jesus and taking the emphasis away from Jesus. Paul is writing the, the letter to say, we're complete in Christ. We have everything we need in him, so may we continue in him and be established and strengthened and become more and more like him. That's what it means to be perfect. We look at that and we go, how are we ever going to be perfect? Jesus says in, in Matthew 5 that you should be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we go, that's unattainable. I don't even know if I'm going to even try because there's no way. But it's not about being perfect like you're without sin. It means that you're growing and maturing, becoming more like Christ. And we know we'll never be perfect this side of eternity until we're with Jesus face to face. But we don't give up trying. He's conforming us into the image of his son. We want to continue to walk in perfection, meaning that we're growing and maturing, becoming more and more like Christ. That's what Epaphras is praying for. But then also he's praying that they would be complete in all the will of God, that they would know what God has for them and that they would live it out. That was a common theme in the book of Colossians here as Paul was writing often that they would know and understand that will of God because they were getting mixed up in false teachings. And so Paul wants to bring them back just to the simplicity of the will of God, that again, they have all that they need in Christ and are complete in Christ. So Paul holds up Epaphras as a man that is zealous for the church there and wants the best for them. And not just for those in Colossus, but also those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Those were neighboring cities there that that Epaphras uh, apparently had uh, done some work in those cities as well and had a heart for them. And then Paul says in verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you and uh, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So I just love the, the kinds of ways that God works in bringing people together and bringing right people together. Because God allows Luke to meet up with Paul and to become another travel companion with Paul. And if Paul needed anybody on his journeys, it was a guy like Luke. Why? Because Luke's a doctor. I'll tell you, Paul is a guy that I think could have really been blessed by having a doctor at his side. Because this guy liked to get into trouble, right? This guy went through the ringer, Paul. Like he, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked many times. I mean, no doubt God says, I need to have a guy like Luke at your side, Paul. Because I need to have somebody that just can come physically and just say, Paul, I need you just to sit back for a second, put your feet up. Uh, You're you're kind of looking like you're a little bit dizzy, maybe too many, one too many stones to the head here. You need to sit back. If you can just give me an hour, Paul, just just take an hour, put your feet up. That's all I'm asking. Just an hour. Let me take your temperature. Let me put a cold, you know, face cloth on your forehead here. Let's just kind of revive you a little bit here. Uh, Because Paul would just kept going and going and going. But he got a guy like Luke now ministering not only to his spiritual needs, but his physical needs. I just love the way that God takes care of his servants. And he brings people into a place that are going to be just the right 
benefit, and Paul benefited greatly from Luke, this beloved. <laughs> I'm sure he used that word very strongly, beloved. Oh man, I am so thankful for Luke. Beloved physician. And Demas, greet you know, Demas is an interesting guy. Because Demas is one that started well, but didn't finish so well. In fact, Paul says again in his letter, the last letter he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, he says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Demas, you see, allowed the things of the world to come in and crowd out his devotion to the Lord, to where he forsook the ministry and the work he was doing with Paul, he left it all because he had a love for this present world. John would say, he who has a love for the world does not have the love of the Father in them. And it's so easy, you know, to start out really strong in our life in Christ, be very much on fire, and then to see that begin to just kind of wane and to begin to sort of drift away as we begin to get maybe comfortable or we begin to get, you know, our eyes fixed on things that are not of the Lord. And, and the enemy is right there to kind of flash the things of the world in front of us, say, hey, you know what? You could really have some real blessing or, you know, reprieve here in these things of the world. And Demas began to look at those things with a greater love then he had his love for the Lord. And he drifted and he walked away. And he forsook those things. And he gave up the superior, blessed things of the Lord for the inferior things of the world that are not lasting, that are not going to be of any help or hope to him. And how sad it is when people have shipwrecked their lives because they've given up on the Lord only to grab a hold of things that will never satisfy or save it's only found in jesus and i pray that we are those that are growing more and more in our love and devotion for the lord when you are growing in your love and devotion for the lord the things of the world you'll see just aren't going to satisfy any longer if your devotion for the lord is waning and maybe you're going well you know i haven't really spent much time with the lord lately but i had really good devotions like a couple weeks ago man that was powerful but lately not much and maybe you begin to look at you know catching up with your latest show on netflix more than you are interested in being in the word and in that quiet time with jesus where you just spend with him and it's so easy to begin to drift and before we know it, we end up being a, a person like Demas that maybe started well but didn't finish well, who's forsaken all because the love of the world began to crowd out that love for Jesus. May that not be said of us. May we continue on with a heart full of love and devotion and commitment to the Lord in all that we do. And then he mentions Nymphus in the church that is in his house. Some translations uh, say that it is in her house and speaking of nympha in in a feminine form we're not sure exactly nevertheless there was a church meeting in their house and and uh that's the way that the early church began meeting in 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 houses they didn't have church buildings they didn't have warehouses to go and figure out leases over they just had to meet in homes it wasn't until the third century that they began to dwell in in other places but in the beginning they were meeting in, in churches and this one is mentioned here in nymphus again something that we don't know much about but again faithful in opening their home being hospitable and allowing a church to gather in their home. Verse 16 says, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, some believe that Paul's letter to the Ephesians is what is in mind here. Because we don't know of a, uh, a letter to the uh, Laodicean church we don't know of one uh, nothing is in existence and it could be that the letter to the Ephesians was actually a circular letter when it says uh you know to the saints in Ephesus it's not uh, in Ephesus is not in the original um Greek and so it's that was meant to go to all the churches around the area there circular letters so that's maybe what Paul has in mind here and then he says in verse 17, Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Archippus appears to be 
the son of Philemon. Perhaps he was a gifted young man, which uh, Paul just kind of wished to encourage. Perhaps he's taking that role from Epaphras now as the leader and the pastor of the church. As Epaphras is in prison with Paul in Rome, so Archippus now is leading the church, and, and Paul is saying, take heed to the ministry. Be aware of what is around you right now and the role that God has placed you in. And then he says that you may fulfill it, that you may fulfill it, that you may continue on in it and and do it well until it's done. Now, here's the, the amazing thing is that our work for the Lord is never done until we're with him. Thomas Constable says, to say I feel as if my work is done is only a bit of proud flesh. Your work will not be done till the Lord comes or calls you to be with him. Therefore, as long as you are here, take heed to the service and complete it. That's the blessing that we have is that the Lord doesn't look at you and go, well, you know what? You've had a great run in ministry and in work, but man, you're getting pretty old and I I think you need to just kind of hang it up right now. God never does that. God loves to work with and through his people. And he'll always allow that as long as we stay open and and available to him. We never as Christians need to enter into retirement as Christians. I'm looking forward to, you know, retirement, but I'm never going to retire from service to the Lord. I want to continue to be used of him until he comes. So take heed to the ministry around you. See what there is to be done, what he's called you to do. And fulfill it. And keep fulfilling it until you're with him. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. So Paul, he signs off now in this letter. He gives a personal touch, but is also a way of signing off to authenticate the letter. As Even in this day, there was a lot of forgeries going around. There was a lot of people sending letters saying, hey, this is Paul, and uh, I'm going into a meeting, and I need your help right now. If you can get back to me, I need you to buy some gift cards. That was happening even in this day. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, there's been a little bit of hacking going on in my email and people sending out forgeries. But if you get an email, again, it's still happening. If you get an email saying that I need your help, go buy some gift cards. Don't do it. It's not of me. But forgeries are happening even in this day. And so Paul kind of signs off saying, this is authenticated. This is true. This is real. This is me. Remember my chains. Here I am in prison. But then he says something so wonderful. Even in, in spite of chains, he goes, grace be with you. Grace be with you. He ends with that key word of grace. It's what we need to continue on, that grace may always be with us. Because as believers, I think we can oftentimes be challenged or tempted to think that, ah, you know what, God can't really save you, can he? God isn't going to really work through you. I mean, look at you. You've kind of failed him so many times. You've messed up here. No, you, you. And the enemy wants to come in and whisper those doubts, thinking that you don't deserve his salvation. But that's where grace comes in. We can reply back, and not that I want to engage in the devil. Don't do that. But reply back and say, you're right, I don't deserve it. That's why he saved me by his grace. Grace is that unmerited favor. It's getting what we don't deserve. I didn't deserve to be saved. I'm a sinner. I'm, 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 I'll leave it at that. I'm a, I'm a sinner. But I'm saved by his grace. I don't want to continue on in that. But I know I'm not perfected this side of eternity. I'm going to, I'm going to mess up, but I continue on in grace because it's not by my work or by my efforts that I'm right with God. It's simply because of what Jesus has done. Grace is that word cares. It's that, it's that free gift. It's that gift that we've been given freely. We don't earn it. We don't, we don't achieve it through our good doing. And I, I always want to be careful because it's easy in even preaching a message like this to, to walk away and to just kind of hear all about service and, and, and doing all these things. And we can begin to kind of make it feel like, well, I got to keep doing more and trying harder and, and, and serving and doing all these things for the Lord and make it feel like I've got to do that just to be accepted or to be right with God. No, we don't do any of that to be right with God. We do it because he's made us right with God by his grace. 
We now have the privilege and joy of serving the Lord because he has saved us. We don't do it to be saved. We do it because we are saved. So I pray that we will know and understand the greatness of grace. And that like Paul says, may grace be with you. May it be with you. May it be with me. May we continue on in the greatness of God's grace until he comes. It's a great way to end the letters. Great way to end today. Let's do that. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for this word, for all these things that we learn from these people that served you, God. They served you by serving others. They served you by being in fellowship and community with one another and just being a blessing. And I pray, God, that that would continue here, that we would be fellow workers, fellow servants, co-laborers, as we seek to magnify Jesus here in this place and in our lives as we go out from here. May we continue to make much of you and may we be that support to one another to see that that is happening and being done. Lord, give us that heart to just serve and to know that our service is for you. It's unto you. We serve you and not men ultimately and we're thankful, God, that you see all and you've recorded these names here to remind us that you know exactly who everybody is and what they've done and you reward and you bless and we pray, Lord, that we'd be blessed as a result of what uh, we do unto you and for you and for your glory. Lord, may we continue on in the great grace that you've given us, Lord, knowing that, God, our salvation is secure and complete in you, Jesus, because of what you've done for us. So I pray this all in your awesome name, Jesus. And, and today I just want to also pray for our country. I don't want to leave here without just lifting up what's going on in our country, Lord. And uh, we see great need. And uh, God, we're thankful that you're in control. But we just commit all that's happening now in Ottawa, what's happening even in our own neighborhoods, Lord. We pray for our, our government leaders, Lord. And as much as we can uh, just be... Uh, very much discouraged by what's happening, we pray for them, Lord. We pray that you would get a hold of their hearts and that, God, they would be those that are listening not to the voices of this world, but listening to the voice of God as they will be turned to you, God. Would you work in them and through them, God, to accomplish your purposes? And we just pray for safety in Ottawa, the safety of people. We pray for freedom, Lord, in our country, that all these things would be, be lifted, that they would be settled, Lord, and that we can just function again, Lord, in the, in the blessed freedom that we have here in this country because of you, Jesus. And so just bless all that's going on. Keep everybody safe. And uh, we just pray that you would be at work and, and lead us, Lord, in knowing what we can do and, and how we can live our lives in wisdom in this world to just make much of you through this time, Lord. So we commit it all to you, Jesus, in your awesome name. Amen.